And this this scene between her and Sousa got me too. He is so beautifully tender with her. Yeah, yeah. He's so good. So good. Oh, he is. Yes, yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Someone's hormones are acting up. Oh, don't act like yours aren't, Missy. I texted you yesterday <laughs> and I said, let's just clear one thing up because Amy and I normally do not discuss the episodes before we record. But I said, just want to clear this up. Did you want to jump Susan as badly as I did in this episode? And your response was, yup. Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. So, Amy, I just want to double check. We are discussing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. today, correct? Last I checked. Okay. I just had to check because when I was watching this episode, that first like 30 seconds, I was like, wait, wait, am I in the upside down on Stranger Things right now? Am I hallucinating? (laughs) Yeah, it starts off a bit upside downy. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it was just something about the texture and the color of whatever the hell that virtual thing was that Sybil was playing with and the music. Mm, Yeah. Overall, um, the show does have quite a bit of the 80s vibe at certain points. It does. (laughs) Speaking of the 80s. So last week I referred to this Chronicom hunter the the head guy whatever the hell his name is i called him general zod because no idea what the guy's name is and he looks ridiculous and you know what i'm just gonna keep calling him that because you know what dude you want to dress up like general zod i'm gonna call you general zod that's how this works (laughs) i don't know what his name is either but i just call him the pissy chronicom that works too yeah and, you know, I was getting, other uh, besides Stranger Things, I was getting major Star Trek vibes from this episode, too, especially after Sybil orders General Zod here to, you know, wake up the rest of the Chronicom hunters. It reminded me a lot of Star Trek Into Darkness, where we meet the character Khan, again, played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Sorry, Ricardo Montalban. Could not take you seriously as a Star Trek villain in the 80s. But seeing seeing all of them sleeping like that encapsulated definite Star Trek vibes. And there are more that I'll get to during the show. You know, that reminded me of The Matrix. Sure. That sounded sarcastic. It is, because this is one of the rare moments where Amy has seen something that I have not. Yay. <laughs> no, that's, you know, that's not fair, though. I have seen The Matrix. I just hated it so much that I don't remember anything about it. Okay, look, first, Firefly... <laughs> Now, Matrix, come on. Sorry. I'm sorry. That's my stand and I'm sticking to it. You're breaking my heart every episode. So much like the other episodes this season, we pick right up where the previous episode left off. We find that General Stoner has taken Coulson and May into his custody because he doesn't believe a word of this alien bullshit that Coulson has given him. Yeah. Can you blame him? I really can't, especially since they look like Smurfs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anybody in that getup, i'm just not going to take seriously regardless of whether the other agents are wearing them i just can't they're walking blueberries <laughs> Ooh, i'm hungry you know what else i enjoyed here what a lot of times a lot of times in tv and movies when you see somebody with a steak on their face like for a black eye it just looks silly like get an ice pack it's 20 whatever but the fact that it's the 70s and it's Patrick Warburton, of course he's using a steak as an ice bag. Because <laughs> he is a man. Is that like a real thing? Do people actually use steaks and pe- peas instead of an ice bag? Uh, I definitely used frozen food as a child because ice bags and real ice things were a luxury item in my lower middle class household that we did not have. But then don't the food get um, yeah. mushy? It, it's a problem. You shouldn't do that because it can cause foodborne illness, which is just one of the many myriad of reasons it's a miracle I'm alive today. Okay, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not a good idea. You, <laughs> use ice. That's what it's for. Well, I, I've, always, I've always wondered this. Finally, I have an American I can ask. Well, you know, honestly, I'm not sure if it's something that 
I'm going to say, yeah, it was a thing that the older generations did commonly with meat because I had a great uncle who used to pour salt on open wounds to disinfect them and who used to put pats of butter on burns. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ow. Uh-huh. Holy moly. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. So steak on a black eye, not all that strange. So throughout this episode, we're going to see... What we're really hoping is the reemergence of May's emotions. And she looks a little pissy right out of the gate here. And I love it. I can't tell if she's more pissed that they got caught or that she's now stuck with Coulson. <laughs> Which is interesting because in the previous episode, she was perfectly fine to be with him. Uh-huh. Or rather be around him. And now this episode, all of a sudden... There's so much tension. Yeah, they are definitely having some issues. The side eye she gives him is priceless. This is the perfect example of if looks could kill. Yes. Yeah, because it's like Soder realizes, oh, now I get it. Your name's not actually Chastity McBride. You don't say, <laughs> General. You don't say. Yeah. Took him a minute. And, you know, with them being not being on the up and up, Coulson's like, I think he got that from the bag of explosives. And she just burns a hole in his head. <laughs> Good thing he's got nine lives, right? And, you know, too, as someone who has been married for eight years, I related hard to that moment. <laughs> I have that moment at least three times a week. Okay, then. <laughs> so while those two are adjusting to their captivity... We head back over to the Zephyr, where Yo-Yo and Deke have gotten themselves back on board. And Mac is none too pleased with Deke. Yeah. He caused some waves, didn't he, in the previous episode? Yeah, and the fact that he's proud of that isn't helping his cause. Hey, I'm proud of Deke. He helped me get my theory right. <laughs> this is true. You gloated last week. Take it. Yeah, I'm doing a little dance right now. There you go. All right. <laughs> so... Here's the thing. I'm conflicted about this because Mac is understandably pissed. Deke did not have the authority to do this. However, I wanted Malik dead as much as Deke. If I had to see that dumbass beer and those ridiculous sideburns again, I was going to throw something at my TV. You cannot forget the bronzer. This is true. So I am grateful to Deke in that regard. And because he was just an evil bastard who needed to go. Yeah, he did. And I cheered when he actually killed Malik. Yeah, I was glad. And too, I was like, hey, Deke grew a pair at some point. Yeah, he did. But now the question becomes, at what cost? And that's the question we can't answer yet. What do you mean at what cost? We don't know how this is going to affect the timeline. Well, it can't get worse. I mean, anything where Malik was around, it, things just kept getting worse. And he was supposed to have already died three years previously, so it's it's really hard to say. Yeah, and, well, let's be honest. Max's plan was to get Malik onto the ship. There's no way in hell, after interrogating him, he would have sent him back. Like, la-di-da, here you go. You saw the future. Go take all these ideas and use them for Hydra. That's true. And when they bring Malik on board, it's not like they're going to get answers out of him anyway. Yeah, exactly. And for Mac, I think it's also a matter of just feeling so out of control at that moment. Here's another big Star Trek parallel. At this moment, Mac should realize, hey, I am, as Mr. Spock would put it, emotionally compromised right now. And I have no business leading or even being on the op to rescue my own parents. The fact that he's emotionally compromised shows that he's not capable of even thinking about this and making a decision. Yeah, you're exactly right. But you know what it really comes down to? Who the hell's going to stop him? I mean, look at him. Is Deke going to get up on a ladder and squirt a fucking lemon in his eye? <laughs> well, if May was around, then they could have probably overpowered him. But no. I don't think I don't think they would have all mutinied against him. In this case, everyone, there, there's just no objectivity anymore. And how can there be? You know, they're all human. Poor Mac has dealt with so much. He held his tongue when it came to racism. They've all held back and restrained themselves in various ways. 
it's hard to ask this guy to be more than human at this point, you know? Yeah, they're all emotionally compromised in a way. So you can't say then at this point, then if if everyone is so emotionally compromised, there is no team left. Yeah. Yeah. So they just have to go with it. And, you know, Yo-Yo is proof of that here. Objectively, rationally, she should be like, and she does say to him, you know, this is a trap, right? But he feels like he's got no choice. Yeah. I mean, it's his parents and he's seen them die already. Yeah. Probably even twice because he not only does he have his real life memories, but he still has his framework memories. Oh, man, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh. And Yo-Yo here, giving my girl some credit again. Mac is super emotional at the moment. And he's also just acting like a man. So she has to step in here and be like, hold the fuck up. You need backup. And I'm your girlfriend, as he will so, as he will point out later. So yeah. I'm coming with you. Yeah. She basically wanted to be there not only just for physical backup, but even for emotional support. Of course. She knew he would need it. Yeah. So at this point, while they're trying to coordinate this plan, the Zephyr takes a missile strike because the Chronicoms have hijacked S.H.I.E.L.D.'s systems from the lighthouse to take out the Zephyr. Right. And General Stoner is running around like a headless chicken trying to get that sorted out. Well, that's the thing about Patrick Warburton. He never does anything particularly quickly. (laughs) So it's more like a a slow lope everywhere he goes. (laughs) He probably assumes the power of his voice will do what needs to be done. Yes. Yeah. And I can't blame him for that. At some Mm. point later, Coulson says like, oh, you know, you'd think a guy named Stoner would be more fun. (laughs) (laughs) very true yeah true while Coulson and May are being interrogated at the lighthouse Daisy and Sousa are having a bit of a rough day yeah they were I hate to say this but they were rolling around in the hay yes indeed listeners I hope you will forgive us for our hormones this episode (laughs) at least me (laughs) I am going to be admitting certain things I am not proud of. Although from what I've seen on Twitter, many of you are feeling the same way. We will get into this. But yes, these innuendos, they're going to come up. Okay, confession time coming up. Well, I'm trying. I I was in the gutter for a good day. I'm trying to crawl my way out after this episode. (laughs) I'm not having a whole lot of luck. But I'm trying. So that's got to count for something. Oh, this is going to be fun. (laughs) Anyway, I do want to say Chloe Bennett is fantastic in this scene. Yeah, she is. Both of them are. She especially is so good at playing drugged. I was like, holy shit, did she do a Christian bail and have them inject her with something? (laughs) No, I don't think she must have gone that far. I hope not. She was just, you could see the heaviness about her. Hmm. Um, just trying to like slog through it and with cement in her brain, she was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but I assumed she couldn't quake in this moment because of whatever cocktail of drugs Malik gave her. I don't think it's the drugs that made her incapable of quaking. I think it's something a little extra that he gave her as insurance because We've seen back in, I think, season five in Kitson when Gemma and Daisy were flying high and drunk at the same time. Adorably. Yeah. Daisy was able to quake. She wasn't able to aim very well, but she was able to quake. (laughs) This is true. Friends don't let friends quake when they are drunk. (laughs) Yeah, I think he probably dosed her with some kind of drank uh, a heavy sedative, some kind of paralytic, possibly some kind of drug. Which kind of has me thinking now. Inhumans were kind of hidden in the closet, so to speak, uh, in the 70s. There weren't too many at that time. The explosion of Inhumans happened after the whole terogenesis thing with Jaing. Right. So Hydra knew about Inhumans? And they already had a serum to block their abilities. Ooh, there's an idea. Because Malik knows the word inhuman. He uses it. 
Yes. Oh, I didn't catch that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I caught him using it, but I didn't catch that idea. Interesting. That's something to think about. Yeah. And if you see, S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't have that ability in the present time from the from, like, say, season one. No. S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't have the ability to stop the inhuman power. They just have the box to contain them. Right. Interesting. So is this is this a change thanks to the Chronicoms and Malik being alive longer? Or is it something that got lost along with Hydra? I think this is going to come back. Because we still have another inhuman who can't seem to use her powers properly. So, yeah, I think this idea is going somewhere. Now, I have to give credit where credit is due here, despite the fact that he is playing a Nazi. The actor playing Nathaniel Malik here, great job. Yeah, he does a really good job. He actually kind of seems really different, doesn't he, from the previous episode? Yes, like he's found his passion yeah, mm. kind of. He he's come, he's come into him his own. Yeah, which is not a very good thing. You know, this is one of those times where you hear people say all the time, "Do what you love." Yeah, don't, don't. Yeah, some people should really fight that instinct. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I will say though, he is the best villain of the Maliks. Young Freddie Malik, I thought was was a joke. Uh, G- Gideon Malik never frightened me in any way. Wilfred Malik, uh, maybe if he was carrying his Civil War reenactor musket, I might have been slightly afraid of him. However, Nathaniel Malik, I don't want to meet that guy in a dark alley. Yeah, me neither. You know what the word for him is? It's hard. What? He is insufferable. The level of arrogance and condescension is just off the charts. When he tells Sousa, thank you for your service. (sighs) (laughs) Well, I think that is something that comes along with being a Malik, being someone from Hydra. They all do believe that they're better than the rest. It does, but it's worse with him because he's the craziest one. Which is why he's the most condescending. Probably. And I do, at that moment, I'm just thinking, oh, you little shit. If you're 140 pounds soaking wet, I will eat my fucking shoe right now. Sousa could break you in half if he was at full strength, you little bastard. <laughs> yeah, which is why he was, let's be honest, the guy was a coward. If he really wanted to, he could have taken them on full powers, but he didn't. And he knew he wouldn't be be able to. Exactly. So poor Daisy gets hauled off and we'll know her fate soon enough. Meantime, mm. we head back over to the lighthouse. And I will say this female agent whose name I just didn't catch, the one reporting to Stoner. Right. The one in the maroon suit. Yes. I was really glad she turned out to be an evil Chronicom because I did not like her on sight. Why? It's nothing against her. She just happens to look exactly like a former doctor of mine toward whom I do not have warm feelings. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So, oh man. Maybe your doctor was a Chronicom. You know what? With her bedside manner or lack thereof, I would not be surprised. you hear that dr Contreras? anyway uh yeah so i was glad when she bites it later on yeah but she's coming with really important information malik is dead indeed yeah stoner doesn't seem to have too much of a reaction to that though he really doesn't. He doesn't have much of a reaction to anything. And that's just Patrick Warburton, too. Those are the char- kind of characters he plays. Very stoic. Okay. Well, see, this would make me think that was Stoner really a fan of Malik? Or was he just kind of brown nosing him? Well, see, it's hard to tell because you got to remember, it's also 1976 and Rocky just came out and he is a man, goddammit. 
he is a man fighting for his country. <laughs> he can't show any dang emotion. He can't get hysterical. Mm, yeah, well, true. And considering the size of that mustache, I don't think you can see too much emotion over there. That's true. So May's power we see really coming in handy again here because she's like, uh-oh, that female agent is a chronicom. Yeah, takes her a bit to realize I think that's because some of her own emotions are starting to come through a little bit. Yeah. So while this is going on, uh, they're having a little problem on the Zephyr. Eh, not too big a deal. Oh, wait. Actually, major fucking problem. (laughs) Yeah, these guys are in because their shielding is down. So that means that If they jump, the rest of the ship will not jump along with them, only parts where the cabling is intact. And the rest of them are going to get pulverized, as Enoch puts it. Very graphically. Yeah, you really going to split those hairs? I would call that having their jumping capabilities compromised. Thank you very much. (laughs) Compromised makes it sound so, so small. (laughs) Now, this can all be fixed, But the bigger problem is Gemma's having a little senior moment here and can't remember (laughs) how to fix it. Yeah. So Enoch tries to help her out. Yeah. Before she can fix it, Enoch has to fix her. True. Yeah. And, you know, it was so comforting in a way when he's just like, it will be all right, Gemma Simmons. Yeah. Do you notice that any time she's being scared or uncomfortable... He uses her full name. Hmm. I chalk that up to a quirk. You think there's more to it? I don't know. It's just something I noticed. So then we head back over to the rest of our Scooby-Doo gang here, which is Mac and Yo-Yo and Mac's parents. Now, one thing I really appreciated here, big credit to the casting director. Mac's mom actually looks like him. Yeah. There is a resemblance. Yeah, they could be brother and sister. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, she's really pretty looking. Yeah, she's a pretty lady. Yeah. Mac gets a little overzealous here. Oh, that was really sweet. The poor guy. It was. his mom. It was. But he also has to realize he's not a seven-year-old boy. He is a massive 50-year-old man. Yeah, true. Which, by the way, he's fucking 50 Black people always age better than white people. It's true. Yeah, but he looks incredible for 50. Yeah, nobody on this cast looks their age. True. And I gotta say, this is adorable when he introduces Yo-Yo as his girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and he's so flustered and kind of like excited. You know he wants to be all excited like a little boy, but he's trying to control his, uh, himself, but yeah. he's failing. Yo-Yo has to be the one to be like, uh, yeah, I don't think they care very much about that director Macklemore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's no surprise there. We, we know, uh, we're fully aware this team has a great amount of difficulty creating fake names. <laughs> Not their strong suit. Well, to be, f- yeah, but with Yo-Yo, I mean, she didn't have too much time. Yeah, May, on the other hand, had a lot more time than to come up with a name better than Chastity McBride. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so while everybody's getting acquainted there, and Mac tries to get his parents to trust them, we come to yeah. one of the best scenes of this episode: Colson and May dealing with each other in interrogation. That was fantastic. Yeah. They're like an old married couple. That is exactly what I have in my notes. And you know what the funniest and most heartbreaking part of this is? They are both right. True. You know, it is so hard for each of them to grapple with all this. And I'm glad Colson is letting it show because it seems like it's drawing emotion out of May. Yeah. And for someone who doesn't seem to be feeling anything... She is showing a fair amount of emotion over here. Yeah. If nothing else, the sarcasm is just dripping off of her. Yeah. So question for you. Is it that she's not feeling anything and she is mirroring Colton's irritation back at him, even though she can't 
you know, touch, feel him, but she's just sort of mirroring it visually. Or it's not like her feelings disappeared. They were just really deep down and they're coming up now that she has a little more time. I think it's the latter. I think those are absolutely her emotions. And Coulson even says that he just like bares his teeth at her. There she is. <laughs> that is her yeah. coming out. This is the May that we know and love. I think part of it is possibly it's been a super high powered defense mechanism because she mm-hmm. can't stand the idea of losing him again. She she even says to him, you never die. I'm not <laughs> mourning again, especially not for some synthetic crap with your face. Yeah, true. But her no feelings thing happened even before she met him. That's when she kind of took down Enoch. That's true. So maybe a general defense mechanism that she just couldn't take any more pain? Hmm. After all the Sarge stuff, after it got all brought back to her? Yeah. She kind of like shut down. So it would make sense. If that's the case, it would make sense that the only person who could draw it back out is Coulson. Yeah. And she probably needed that time, even though there's no, there's not much time for them to actually sit and reflect on what's going on. She probably just needed a little more time to get her bearings. Well, to be fair, they've never had a whole lot of time to reflect on anything. True. Yeah. At this point, they should all be in straight jackets, just mumbling to themselves. (laughs) I agree. Just like with just they have just mashed potatoes all over their faces because they're not allowed to use forks. (laughs) So they just have to eat like the little brother in a Christmas story. Yeah. So it's through this whole back and forth between Coulson and May that he realizes, oh, shit, the Chronicoms are mimicking my technology. Yeah, that's because May realizes that that she couldn't feel anything from the female agent. Right. And, you know, I don't blame Coulson for being pissed about this on a personal level because he's like, fuck this. I am not one of them. He says, I may not be what I used to be, but I'm not one of them. Yeah, I get that. But it kind of raised a bit of a red flag for me when he was being so insistent. I'm not saying that Coulson is lying or anything like that. Don't pounce at me, people please. I'm saying that what if now that, you know, we know at the end end of the episode, he blows himself up when he comes back. What if he's been reprogrammed in some way and he ends up being the big bad of the season? Why would you why would you put that out there? Why would you do this? Do you think you have to worry about our listeners pouncing on you? No, no, I'm right here and my claws are out. No, don't, no, 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 no. But think about it. No. It would be no. awesome. No, no. From a story standpoint. Fuck you. Not from an emotional no. standpoint. We, no, no. D- just no. Hey, knock, knock. Who's that? No. <laughs> no who? No, I. Th- it's not a red flag. It's a matter of... It's a matter of Coulson being part human and part machine. And the human part of him is like, fuck that. I'm still me. Yeah, I get that. Because he has Coulson's consciousness. He has Coulson's brain. So, of course, he's thinking like he's a man, like he's himself. So, yeah, I'd get pissed, too. I get it. I'm not saying that he's lying or pretending or anything of that sort. Not at all. I'm just saying with the amount that they're stressing on this, I feel it's going to come into play. I don't even know how to respond to you. (laughs) I want nothing to do with this nonsense. Okay. People, please get out your pens and start poking holes please if you've managed to poke holes please because i'm not happy about it either and i don't like it that i came up with this either (sighs) amy's a masochist but it's a good idea i don't want to hear it anyway so 
The Chronicoms want to replicate General Stoner since he's in charge of the lighthouse and it would make things pretty quick and easy for them. Yeah. See, now here's the thing. Should I continue? If you must. The other agents who were replicated and put into Chronicom bodies... Colson is kind of like that, right? His mind has been put into a Chronicom body. He has his conscience and he knows what's right and wrong and he's not siding with the Chronicoms. Whereas the others, they have all the memories, the emotions, all of that. We can see that with Mac's parents, but they're still Chronicoms and they're still following the Chronicom directive, Okay, so it's just different. You see where I'm going there? It's just different programming, and they don't care about conscience. They don't care about any of that. So they didn't take the care that Gemma did. You're not getting me on. You're not getting me on board, right? So this time, we don't know who is going to bring Colton back. It could be Gemma. It could be the Chronicoms themselves to bring him in as a spy. Knock knock. Who's there again? Fuck no. His brother. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. I'm not answering any more knock knocks. So we head back over to Mac and the gang. And at the other end of the lighthouse. And this just was so upsetting because he has such a nice bonding moment with his dad here trying to fix the mechanism to get them out of the lighthouse. And that just gets blown to hell later with the big twist. Yeah. Yeah, it was really heartbreaking. And I felt so, I don't know how I felt at that moment when Mac's dad called him sir. And you see that reaction on his face. Yeah. It just, it, I don't know, something, something clicked over there. I don't know how to describe it. You were suspicious? No. Oh. No. In an emotional, good emotional, sad, I don't know. Yeah. Something. Yeah. So they're trying to get themselves out of the lighthouse while Coulson and May are saving Stoner's ass. Yeah. And I love the moment where the moment he just wakes up from the machine and he goes, I believe you. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) It only took a near-death experience to uh, wake him up. And almost being copied into another chronicle. Yeah. He takes it in stride, though. I'll give him that. Yeah, true. Nothing ruffles him. Hmm. Except for the wind, probably, with the mustache. And if May's reaction tells us anything later on, potentially small Asian women. (laughs) Yeah, I was actually a bit confused about that. I wanted your take. I think she felt something unpleasant. (laughs) (laughs) that she had no interest in reciprocating which probably explains why she was being being flirty with him in the previous episode and the fact that he's just a man and that's the way you'd go yeah true so we leave the lighthouse for a little bit unfortunately i've never wanted to stay in the lighthouse before but the alternative is going back to that terrible barn-like structure where oh poor daisy is seriously suffering yeah yeah this was a really rough scene for me i gagged a little bit not gonna lie you don't really see anything all right here's the thing i have a a list not a long list but a short list of things that I simply cannot deal with in movies and shows. And I think pretty much everybody has a few things on a, on a mental list of things they just can't deal with on screen. For me, number one on that list is anything about spinal issues. Even, okay. even just saying it now, my skin is crawling. I can't. I can't handle it. So when he says, oh, took a bunch of blood and some spinal fluid. fluid. Oh, God. Yeah. Just personally, from all the medical issues I've been through, that's a big one for me. And knowing how painful a spinal tap is, all of that, the way they're just like throwing her around like a rag doll. Oh, my God. The pain. Mm. Thank God she at least, like, clearly she was in pain, but it looked like she was was heavily sedated, so small mercy there. 
I don't know if she was sedated or she was kind of losing consciousness because of the pain. Oh, I hadn't let myself go there. Oh. That's what I thought of because she was clearly awake, even though she was unable to respond when Susa was talking to her. The fact that she put her arm up. And did you notice that the piece of glass was under yes. her skin? Yes. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I was so proud. Of, I was so proud of her in that moment. Yeah, that kind of got me. E. But you know, that wasn't even the worst for me. Do you know what the fucking worst was? What? And this pains me to say, because he reminds me so much of Adam Scott. Seeing fucking evil Ben Wyatt over there in a butcher's apron covered in blood. Oh, yeah. And you can't forget the handprints on them. Oh, God. There have been plenty of characters in movies and television who are so evil that I look forward to their death. I can't wait to see them die. Never has it happened so quickly. He is dead, right? Or is he coming back? I don't know. That's one of the questions I have. We see him in pain. We see him go down, but we don't get a definitive answer on that. Yeah, I I don't think he's gone that quickly. Me either. He's too good a villain. Too good of an actor. Too good of an actor. Yeah. He's too good of an actor and too good of a villain to just leave it that. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I seem to be the bearer of bad news today, don't I? When are you not? Hey, <laughs> I have good theories too. And this this scene between her and Susa got me too. He is so beautifully tender with her. Yeah, yeah. He's so good. So good. Oh, he is. Yes. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Someone's hormones are acting up. Oh, don't act like yours aren't, Missy. I texted you yesterday <laughs> and I said, let's just clear one thing up because Amy and I normally do not discuss the episodes before we record. But I said, just want to clear this up. Did you want to jump Susan as badly as I did in this episode? And your response was, yup. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a roll in the hay. Yeah. So get off your high horse. <laughs> so by getting that piece of glass, Daisy ends up saving both of them. That is definitely uh, teamwork. And we'll get to that in just a minute. All right. So now we need to head back over to the Zephyr. And I'm sorry, listeners. Amy, can you give me one second? Okay. Yeah. I just need to run into my bathroom real quick and flush down the toilet all the fucking goodwill I had built up for Deke these last few weeks. <laughs> Yeah, all it took was five seconds for him to ruin all of that, didn't he? God. Nobody hurts Enoch. Seriously, I have no idea what the fuck was going through Deke's dumbass lemon-lime-flavored head <laughs> that would have made him what think... What is it with you and the lemons today? I don't know. It's just on my <laughs> mind. You know, because he's on my mind, because his stupidity is on my mind. And of course, I just associate the limits with him. <laughs> what would make him think Enoch had turned on them? After all he's done, what a fucking insult. I know. True. He has spent the last 40 goddamn years preparing to help people who couldn't even give him the time of day on a phone booth. Come on, man. Can I play devil's advocate here for a moment? Do you want to get poop in the mail? Because <laughs> I've got plenty in my backyard. Hey, you're already pissed off at me. May as well just go all the way, right? I'm listening. Okay. In Deke's defense, he could have thought that maybe Enoch was replaced with another Chronicom. Just like all the other people have been being replaced by Chronicoms. But he didn't think that because he says to Gemma, Enoch's a traitor. True. Okay. Defense lost. Yeah, so take that and go suck on a fucking lemon. Okay? You can join Deke in a, in a closet because that's where he should be. Okay. <laughs> okay, with all the lemons, you do know what he signifies with lemons, right? I don't care. Are you trying to bring up some repressed feelings? I am reappropriating lemons. They are sour and they are gross. And that's how I feel about them. 
They're not gross. I don't like lemons. I'm allergic to lemons. I'm not a fan. I am allergic to Deke. How about that? (laughs) I think someone is protesting a bit too much. Okay. Listeners, help. Yeah, good good luck. They know where my loyalties lie. Thank you very much. (laughs) They've seen the Tom chart. I will say the one line I thoroughly enjoyed that... Deke says to Gemma, he's like, I come in here and it's creepy town, USA, population, the two of you. (laughs) Yeah, true. And he needed to say that. He did. She needed to hear that. Yeah, he's right in that they do deserve answers. Yeah. And okay, devil's advocate again. Can you blame him with the way these two are being so cagey? Um, yeah, I can blame him for defibrillating Enoch. Step too that is far. True. That is true. One does not hurt Enoch. <laughs> he does deserve answers, especially because he does kind of have a vested interest in how things work out between Gemma and Vince. Yeah, true. So this is where we get the one and a half answers we get on this show. Yeah, so blew my theory out. Ha! Ha! <laughs> Take that. Hey, I, I'm big enough to admit it. So... Gemma admits that Fitz is observing everything and and guiding their moves like they're pawns on a chessboard from some unknown but totally exposed location. Yeah, but we do, uh, right back in episode one, we do hear Gemma saying that Fitz sends messages and we see those weird waveformy things coming in. So he is sending them some kind of messages. Which we haven't heard about from Miss Secrets. Yeah. So. No, she does say this. Yeah, but we haven't gotten any. We haven't heard about any messages. My point. Yeah, true. That's that's for them to do with their own thing. So Gemma made Diana. She's adorable. <laughs> yeah. This bio implant, the red thing in her neck that's suppressing her memories mm. so that the Chronicoms can't find out where Fitz is. Uh, or other important information. Right. But it's been malfunctioning, and that's why her memories are getting scrambled like a bunch of eggs. Yeah. Now, here's a question. Do you think she named the implant after Princess Di? That's the first thing that popped into my head. Okay, good. And now here's another question, because it's now uh, Creepy Town USA population, the three of them. <laughs> Should we place Vegas odds on how long Deke is going to be able to keep this secret? What's the shortest time? Yeah, he's basically a five-year-old who just heard a new joke. I don't see this secret lasting beyond the next episode. Which, frankly, I'm fine with because the rest of the team needs to know. She's being too cagey. But at the same time, if the rest of the team really needed to know, wouldn't Enoch tell them? Wouldn't Enoch tell her they need to know? Because he knows more than he's telling. Yeah, but I think this also plays in with um, with his loyalty. Uh, maybe. His loyalty to Fitz. Yeah. The question is, how loyal, how loyal can he be? Where does loyalty end and rationality begin? Yeah, well, he is supposed to be a rational being, so loyalty should be pretty low on the totem pole but then he did essentially turn his back on his race because he was loyal to Fitz that's true and loyal to Fitz and loyal to S.H.I.E.L.D. in general yeah and he seems to have a soft spot for humanity he does as an anthropologist would hmm yeah so we don't know how far is he willing to go to maintain his loyalty and I guess he probably will say what needs to be said if he realizes that people are in danger. I think you're right, because saying what needs to be said is definitely not a problem Enoch has. (laughs) The sass. The sass. (laughs) Fucking here for it. Yep. Nobody can eviscerate somebody with a look as well as Enoch. Not even May. They could have a competition. I think so. So now we head back over 
to the barn where Susan and Daisy are being held. And this is where I have to make my my confession here. Uh, so Susan's getting shit done, taking out this henchman. They save each other because Daisy was the one who procured the weapon. Right. Now, I am a little below average height for a woman, but I have the bone structure of somebody taller because my height was stunted by medical issues as a kid. So I'm about 5'4", but with bigger bones. And my husband is not a big dude. He's just a little bit bigger than me, barely really. And I'm fine with that. I love my husband very much. We've been married for eight years. It's all good. However, there are times, you know, a girl in my position imagines what it would be like to have a man who's much bigger than her just be able to sweep her off her feet and <laughs> cart her around. <sighs> yeah. You do realize that circumstances here were terrible. I do, which is why I say I'm not proud to admit this, that while this poor <laughs> woman who has suffered so greatly in such a genuine feeling way that I am sitting there going, oh, God, I wish I was her right now. At that moment, I was actually concerned about his leg because he's carrying her. He doesn't have his stick. Again. He's been manhandled. Yeah, I'm not thinking about his leg. I'm thinking about something, but it's not his leg. <laughs> I'm trying to be a considerate human being, unlike some people here. You yelled boobs in a couple episodes ago. <laughs> I'm making up for it. Or rather, I'm trying to. <laughs> and I had a legitimate point at that time. So do I. He is ridiculously hot in the scene. Don't even tell me he's not. I agree. He is ridiculously hot oh, all sweaty and strong and it's a barn for fuck's sake <laughs> this is basically a fucking romance novel that moms would buy in the 80s in the supermarket <laughs> you want to do some rolling around in the hay don't you i just completely lost my train of thought my <laughs> mind just wandered um <laughs> Yeah, he is like a white knight in this moment. And normally Daisy would not require a white knight, but she has been absolutely brutalized. Yeah. So it looks like the surgery worked. Malik comes in and he's like, my bones are cracking. I'm like, good fuck face. Yeah. And he's like bleeding from his mouth. Yeah, and he can't. His nose maybe. He clearly can't handle the quake powers. Yeah. And the whole barn is shaking. I love for a moment there, Susan's confused and he's looking at Daisy, who's clearly unconscious, and he goes, is that you? <laughs> and, you know, this tells us one thing is that it's more than just whatever the surgery did that makes inhuman powers. Because when Daisy first got her powers, it wasn't her whole body that was affected. Like if she overdid it, it hurt her arms, you know? But it wasn't this instantaneous, like, oh, my God, my whole body is imploding. Yeah, that's because it's biology. Yeah. She had the inhuman gene. Nathaniel presumably does not. But when she did get her powers initially, she wasn't able to control it. Internally, she wasn't getting hurt, but everything around her was shaking. True. And as we said before, the big question is, does he die or not? We are firmly in the not camp. Yeah. Glad we agree on something today. Yeah, nice change of pace. Yeah. <laughs> well, that and the fact that we would both like to take that role of the hay with Daniel Souza. Mm, true. Which is interesting because normally you and I do not have the same taste in men. Agreed. All right. So while Souza and Daisy are escaping, we head over to a fantastic showdown between Coulson and Sybil because he has found the Chronicom's little walkie-talkie device that they use to get in touch with her. Really? Walkie-talkie device? That's what you're going with? That is what I'm sticking to, yes. Because I can barely work my television. <laughs> you're lucky I managed to unzip the zip file you sent me today. Okay, my mind went somewhere else right now. Okay. Do I need you to send you down a bucket to the gutter? <laughs> Would you like some rope? A ladder? <laughs> I think I'm good down here right now. Okay. 
I'll, I'll break you down. I'll put a, bu- a sandwich in a bucket for you later. Yeah, that would work. Okay. Yeah. Again, I would think this is closer to like the Matrix. You know, he's plugged himself into the Matrix and he's speaking to Sybil. I'll take your word for it. Okay, then. What I love about this confrontation is, again, the sass. This is the most Coulson that Coulson has ever been. True. Yeah. I love the conversation that they have. But one thing I was initially rather confused about was that Sybil was being so... Forthcoming? So forthcoming, yes. I think that's arrogance. Is it? I think it is because she's so sure that the Chronicoms are 10 steps ahead of them. She doesn't look nervous until she realizes, oh shit, he's really not afraid to die. Does she look nervous at all at any point? Yes. Because I don't see oh, it. Oh yes. At the very end of their conversation, when he tells her dying is kind of my superpower and leaves, mm-hmm. that's when she's like, because he tells her, I haven't been afraid of dying for years. Been there, done that. Hmm. She realizes that she underestimated him and didn't quite understand who and what she's dealing with. See, I have another theory. Pens. You know what? Just don't even put the pens down, people. She's full of it today. (laughs) I think Sybil is the Chronicom version of Jarvis. Explain. Jarvis is AI. Sybil is the Chronicom version of AI. And the reason why she was willing to tell Coulson everything was because he is Chronicom, at least physically. But she knows he's the enemy. She does, but her programming is to help the Chronicoms. So Coulson found a loophole? Is that what you're saying? Without realizing it? Maybe. And then this plays into my other theory of... Colton may be coming back as the bad guy. Okay, can I ask you, did you get a paper cut building this house of cards? <laughs> so he has blown up the Chronicom base and pissed off Chronicom from the 1930s. General Zod. Take this. His name is yes. General Zod. If you say so. He would find this a perfect opportunity to replace Colson because Colson is obviously blown up. He's a suicide bomber at this point. Oh, God, do you have to say it so baldly like that? It's still raw. To recreate Colson, but tweak it a little bit with the help of Sybil. I have no idea what to make of Colson destroying himself. And he says, as he's about to blow himself up, May, I hope you're right. And what he meant is, oh, you never die. You always come back. So he's kind of, it's interesting because on one side, he's putting his faith in the team to bring him back, I guess, to help with the mission. But on the other side, Mm -hmm. does he really want to come back again? He didn't want to come back in the first place the first time ages ago. Yeah. But in this case, I think he wants to come back because he wants to help the team. Oh, I don't know. This has to be exhausting. I'm exhausted and I'm just watching it. (laughs) Yeah. And it would be quite the twist if he does come back to uh, hurt them rather than help them. Yeah. Been there, done that, season six. Yeah, but that guy was a completely different guy. Was it though? This is Colson. Are you all right? <laughs> you know, it's just a theory, my right? My ass is as numb as my brain right now. <laughs> oh. Oh, sitting down because of the hormones today. You can put two and two together, ladies. Anyway, all right. So while Coulson is becoming shish kebab, <laughs> Mac and Yo-Yo... Relax, everybody. We all know he's coming back. Mac and Yo-Yo and May, they're taking out the Chronicoms. They save Stoner. They save Mac's parents. And this is where we have the moment where May gets totally weirded out when she shakes Stoner's hand. Yeah. Yeah, there was nothing good going on in his brain. Well, good thing she can't read thoughts. She can only feel stuff. Oh, very true. So it's on May to deliver the news to everybody that Coulson sacrificed himself for the team. Yeah. 
And you can see a glimmer of emotion there. Yes. But it's gone in a flash. And she tells them, I don't know if it's denial or faith that he'll come back. Always does. I think it's more for our benefit. Considering how heartbroken we were when Enoch was left behind. I think the writers put that in just so that we, the fans, wouldn't just just don't have a nervous breakdown. So everybody's on the quiet side, you know, mourning the loss of Coulson once again. But on the bright side, Mac's parents are safe. They're okay. They're having one last, you know, talk here with the man they don't know is their son. Or do they? Mm-hmm. Because Mac's dad comes over to May, who's piloting the Quinjet, and puts his hand on her shoulder to thank her. And that's when May realizes... Oh, fuck. And I do believe that's like our seventh oh, fuck of this episode. (laughs) He is a chronicom. Yep. And poor Mac. The whole fight over here. Absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I just need to bring this up. I mean, keeping aside the emotion of it. Have you noticed that every time the chronicoms get into hand-to-hand combat with someone, they go for the throat? A little bit. They They like to strangle. Yeah, it's like their default move. Hmm. That's probably just a matter of choreography. Like different characters in the Marvel Universe kind of have a signature fighting style. So I guess they wanted to do the same thing for the Chronicoms. Yeah. And back in 703, I believe, when Gemma was pretending to be Peggy and Coulson has a fight with another Chronicom, they both are at each other's throats. You're right. Literally. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it's probably just a matter of the choreography. Yeah, obviously. But within the story, I think it's got to do with the programming of the Chronicoms. See, I don't think so. Because if you were going to go that route, then they would kill in the most effective and efficient way possible. And strangling, that is not the way. Strangling takes a long time to kill somebody. The quickest and most efficient way to kill somebody is break their neck. Maybe they're trying to do that, but everyone is fighting fighting them. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, if you're going to try to break Max neck, <laughs> you know, ladders aren't everywhere. Hmm. They're not easy to come by. Yeah. And the parents are not exactly super tall. Yeah. Yeah. It, it took me aback a little bit when the mom started fighting, too, because it, it didn't hit me at first. Like that meant they were both chronicoms because here she, she is this sweet looking woman. It's like, oh, shit. No, she's a fucking assassin. <laughs> kind of reminds you of that old lady, right, from Captain Marvel. A little bit. Yeah. Now, here's what I'm wondering. What does this mean for Mac's younger self and his older self in the timelines? And also, the fact that his parents were taken by the Chronicoms, and for a long time, because the dad says to him, they've been gone a while. Mm -hmm. Does the timing of this matter? Because last week we were talking about it. Why would they pick launch day of all days? Why not pick the next day to jump to? So I'm wondering if... The fact that his parents are Chronicoms have anything to do with the timing of that and if this is going to play a bigger role going forward. I think that was more of a way to taunt Mac to get him off balance. Or better leverage? How so? I don't know. Because now the question is, who the fuck was in that photo? We still have no answer to that. So was it Mac's parents or is it somebody else? I'm leaning towards Mac's parents. (sighs) So you just dangled that shit in front of me and now you're you're walking it back? Hmm? Is that how it works? What, in the previous episode? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the more I think about it, the more I feel like it's it was just Mac's parents. Mm. It's still in the back of my mind. And that's what the writers want. They're just torturing us week after week. <laughs> and speaking of torture, poor Daisy is recovering in the chamber. Then we see Sousa who opts to stay with the team instead of instead of staying in 1976. He says, I'm where I need to be as he's watching Daisy heal. Yeah, and I was so happy that he decided to stink around. Mm-hmm. And makes me wonder, is something going to happen between the two of them? Is it more than friendship? I kind of want to see it now. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking about it, and I realized even before people started shipping them, Since Sousa has come onto the team, Daisy has been pretty much the primary one who's been having conversations with him. They set this up right from the first episode he was on. And they look really good together. 
They do. Yeah, I'm on board for this. Yeah, Ed Souza deserves some good love. I mean, after all, if they take away Peggy from him. Yeah. I mean, he does He does deserve someone. Understandably, Mac needs a little alone time here. He takes his bike out and he's just chilling. He's not even that far away. Yeah. I loved his jacket. It was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like leather. I want that jacket. Yeah, me too. I like leather jackets. I have no reason to wear one, but I like them. <laughs> me neither you know deke goes out looking for him but uh there's a little problem Gemma comes home and over the walkie-talkies like uh get your asses back here we're jumping and is deke not able to raise his voice he's yelling yeah but mac didn't hear him and he was pretty close oh i think mac heard him i just don't think mac gave a shit i think mac is so emotionally broken that he just didn't care probably He's out of it. He's in his own little world. He has to process losing his parents, what, the third time, Ron? Yeah. I mean, they weren't his parents. They were chronicoms. But still, he has the image of seemingly killing his parents in his head. Yeah, yeah. And that moment where he actually throws his mom out of the out of the plane, that really hurt. Yeah. I, I really, I teared up. So, yeah, Deacon Mac don't make it back and they get they are stranded in 1982. Mm hmm. And that is where we leave things. Yeah. Are you looking forward to 1982 with the adventures of Mac and D? I will say this. 1982 is not ready for Deke. <laughs> that eyeliner is a little more than I can handle. Yeah, his whole vibe was a bit much. So not surprising. What I'm looking forward to seeing is Mac's facial hair. Yes, it would appear that we are moving from fake beards to just flat out Velcro. Yeah, tell me that does not look like your third grade play where people just slap on fake beards on kids. Well, we'll have to answer that question next week, partner. All right, you ready to read some tweets? Yes, please. At Hal2814, he seems to agree with us about Colson. He says, y'all know he's coming back. Wow, that is the first time I have ever heard a foreign person use the word y'all. <laughs> is I, that why you made me read this tweet? It is not. And I hate that word to begin <laughs> with. And I have threatened my husband with divorce because he has begun using y'all since we have lived in Texas for the last three and a half years. God help me. <laughs> I've always wanted to try and say this is a, with an American accent. Please do not. Y'all. No. Y'all. No. no. Nope. Say it. No, I can't do I'm from fucking New Jersey. I can't say that properly either. <laughs> and neither can my husband, which is why divorce. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so for those of you who listened to our Joel Stover interview, thank you very much. We appreciate all the love and positive feedback we got for that, particularly from at D Pokema, who gave us 10 out of 10 gold blooms for the interview. This meant more than any award I have ever received. Yay! Jeff Goldblum is a treasure who should be protected at all costs. Absolutely. We put up some code names for the team last week, and at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. said, Doc Simmons is a good one, but with the lights in her neck, she's got a bit of a sign-on or cyborg sort of future in her, perhaps. Also, where the fracas fits. Now, I would just like to mention here, someone whose name rhymes with Shmamey, read me the riot act because I had responded to this tweet uh, saying, oh, it's funny you should say that. My co-host had said the same thing. Uh, and, you know, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. mentioned their big Battlestar Galactica fans. And I used the abbreviation BG and she who rhymes with Shmamey informed me, excuse me, it's B.S.G., well, all right then. Yeah, you don't frack up something like that. And I also got the lecture about fracking this morning as well. You see what I deal with, people? Oh, please. So next, we are not the only people who are hoping to see Daisy and Daniel Sousa get together. At Bruja King, J.E., was wondering what the ship name 
for Daisy and Susan might be. They said, I was thinking either Danzy or Susan. I like Susan. I like Susie better. The problem is both. The problem, though, is that Susie and Susan are both actual names. True. Generally for ship names, it tends to be a combination of either their first names or their last names. So neither of these work. They don't because their names actually mesh too well. Yeah. Because if we call them Danson, that's just weird. Then I'm just thinking about Ted Danson, who I never want to be thinking about. All right. So here's our big question for you, listeners. We all know Coulson's going to come back somehow, but that's the question. How? How? I, you know what? I don't know how he will come back. I don't want to hear from you anymore. I don't want to hear from the peanut gallery (laughs) anymore. Hey, guess what? Knock, knock. Not answering. (laughs) I don't know how he will come back, but I would love for him to come back with Lola. Okay. That I can be on board for. Yeah. Can you imagine? He just pops in at the right moment. That would be awesome. Yeah, a little bit. Now that you know how I would like them to come back, why don't you email us at themarvelousmadams at gmail.com or let us know on Twitter or Instagram at MarvelMadams. Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy, the one with the perpetual theories. Mm-hmm. I heard that. Assemble with us next week for episode seven of the final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the totally excellent adventures of Mac and the D. God help us all. So I am looking forward to the Dalek. I think we're having a Marvel version of the Dalek showing up. I don't know what that is. Oh, dear Lord. And everybody, if you have a minute, we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and leave us a review on iTunes. We pretend like we don't need the validation, but we do. Yeah. And I work really, really hard on my theories. She cries, people. You don't hear it, but she cries. (laughs) And make sure to visit us at themarvelousmadams.com where infinity stones are a girl's best friend. And generally speaking, safe to say, black people age significantly better than white people, which is why I still can't believe Sam Jackson is in his 70s. Wait, what? Yeah. You do know that, right? Sam Jackson is in his 70s. No. Amy. This is brand new information. (laughs) How old is Morgan Freeman? Older. All right, I'm looking this up and then that's it. (laughs) I can't look up every black person (laughs) in Hollywood for you. (laughs) Is this another charge for me? Yes, old black men in Hollywood. (laughs) 